0: Our communion text is in the book of Acts in chapter 20. So I'll read from verses 7 through 12. So Acts 20, starting at verse 7. Now, on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together And in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep, and as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down, fell on him, and embracing him, said, Do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. Now when he had come up, had broken bread and eaten, and talked a long while, even till daybreak, he departed. And they brought the young man in alive, and they were not a little comforted. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, for this, your word, that we can accept as true and know and uh, use as our guide for life. We pray, Father, please awaken our minds to a deeper understanding of what you would have us learn from this and all the rest of the scripture that we'll read here in this uh, time. In Christ's name we pray, amen. The topic today, we've been on this topic of table manners, of our practices in communion and uh, today's topic it concerns the periodicity, the frequency with which we uh, celebrate the Lord's Supper. And I wanted to first begin by walking through uh, just kind of the different practices of the churches. I won't go into details, but the practices vary widely in terms of how often the churches have communion. Uh, some churches have communion and have uh Uh, Taught having communion more than once a week. There are the weekly communion, the monthly communion, the every other month communion, the quarterly communion, the semi-annual communion, the annual communion, and then the rarely or never communion. All of those are practiced, and I would bet that all of them are practiced now in our world, in our culture. Christians just are all over the map when it comes to Uh, How often they celebrate the Lord's Supper and what their rationale is for doing so at those different periods now some Are by choice and most actually are probably by choice some are probably by necessity Because if you do hold to elders only offering communion, which not all do Then you're only going to get communion when elders are present So, for instance, uh, during the founding of this country, that's why the Methodists uh, had those circuit riders. They would found churches, but then as open as they were in the spreading of the gospel and in the requirements for being a a pastor or a teacher, um, they still required that the elder only give communion so they would go on a circuit ride and they would preach and serve communion. Now, meanwhile, the Presbyterians were over in Scotland getting learned degrees, you know, so they weren't, they weren't tending to be spreading as quickly as the Methodists were. I'm not, I'm, I always poke fun at Presbyterians. I wouldn't be here if I didn't love them. Love myself, I guess. <laughs> so now, uh, again, th- everything varied, but most by choice. What is interesting and almost always not true when you read this is people will say the Bible is silent on the topic of how frequent you are to serve communion. Now, it would probably be more correct with many of these people to not say that the Bible is silent, but to say that the Bible uh, isn't clear. I think many would probably nod their head and say, well, yeah, you're probably more right with that second statement. But what I propose is that there is a single phrase in the Bible that's only used a few times that is really key to all of these different periodicities. What's right, what's wrong? It's how you interpret this one phrase that is key to understanding it. So before I get to that phrase, though, I'm going to go into a little bit of history. So first, few would argue that in the early church, in the first century or two, few would argue that communion was obviously offered more than once a year. And uh, that's because it's used in various of the church writings and the people that advocate for once a year will still say, they'll take it piece by piece and they'll try to eliminate all of those occurrences, saying, No, that doesn't mean it, no, that doesn't mean it. But when you read them, I don't know. It seems uncharitable to me that people would still hold to the fact that the early church didn't practice a, far, a communion far more often than once a year. And yet, By the fourth century, it was obvious that some churches were practicing it only once a year because it begins cropping in. Now, the Roman Catholic practices, if you've ever studied the history of the church, you know that they kind of steadily gained ground throughout the first millennium to where by the end of the millennium, uh, pretty much everything. There was just the one church, and, and it had in many ways become corrupt, but it certainly ruled the day. All of its practices were the practices of the Christian church. So what had happened is with this increased uh, obsession with preparation for the Lord's Supper, people just started not partaking. They were afraid now. So people weren't even taking it once a year annually, like at Christmas or Easter, like, like we do now with the, in the Roman Catholic Church. So the church then kind of had to pass a law saying, oh, no, 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 if you don't take it at least once a year, then you are anathema, you are excommunicated. So now you had to do it at least once a year. And so that's probably where the once a year thing really took the greatest root when the Catholic Church said, you have to do it at least once a year or you're no longer a Christian. So what was interesting is during that period as they evolved to this period where they're raising the host and a bell would ring, the people from the towns would run to the church. They weren't there for the service. They couldn't care less. But when the bell rang, that was their cue that Jesus was arriving. He was being turned from bread into, into the person of Jesus. And so then they would run because they knew that what came next, and they would be, the bell was being rung to give them this warning. They knew now that when the host was elevated and they could see it, that's when it occurs, the grace that you would... Potentially received through eating it was just as equally valid by you just watching this miracle happen So people thought well, why do I need to eat it then and risk? the the judgment of God when I can just witness this occurring and I can still benefit so people aren't idiots they're, they're pretty shrewd. They're thinking, okay, I, I've, got the, I've got the upside. It's like finding a stock that will only go up, and you can cut your losses when it goes down. So these people were shrewd. So now again, the, the church had to kind of crack down on this, and, and yet they always kind of benefited from these superstitious practices. So it would only when it would get way out of hand that they would try to resolve them. So then, of course, we have the Reformation, and they really changed things, didn't they? So now... We have the, three, the big three that, that anybody who studies Reformation, you know, you study Luther, Calvin, Z- Zwingli. The, the, essentially, the father of the Lutherans, the father of the Presbyterians and the Reformed, and the father of everybody else. The Baptists, the Methodists, the Congregationalists, everybody else kind of follows Zwingli. And so Luther and Calvin both advocated for frequent communion at most a week. I mean, they both advocated for having communion more than once a week. And Zwingli, four times a year, and he gave the dates as to when they should be, and that probably came to prevail for a time. Now, I haven't really uh, opened much text yet, and I want to, I, I, and I've already been going for eight minutes, and so I need to hurry. Okay. The first text I want to read is when Christ institutes this, he institutes the lord's Supper and I'll read from one instance mark 14 starting at verse 22 and as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them and said, "Take, eat, this is my body." Then he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it and he said to them, this is My body of the new covenant, which is shed for my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So this is Matthew and Mark are a lot alike. Luke's a little bit different, but that's pretty much the gist of it. All he says is this do in remembrance of me. So we really don't get the periodicity from that. But that's where we get the institution of it. Now we'll go to the go-to text, 1 Corinthians 11, and I'll start reading at verse 17. Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Now he is rebuking them, saying that they're Conflating the Lord's Supper in this way, but he's still acknowledging that when they come together as a church, they were doing this. They were celebrating the Lord's Supper. He has fault with the way they're doing it, but don't take that statement to mean that he he doesn't acknowledge that they are attempting to do it. So, what did he say then? Twice he said, When you come together as a church, this would imply that we're talking not annually, but when they come together as a church, they're celebrating the Lord's Supper. So now I told you at the beginning that there's a phrase. It really all hinges on how you interpret this phrase in the Bible as to how often you believe this should be done. And let me take you to the first occurrence of it in Luke 24. In Luke 24, starting at verse 28, Jesus "'has been resurrected. "'He is walking with the two men on the road to Emmaus, "'but they don't yet recognize him. "'Then they drew near to the village where they were going, "'and he indicated that he would have gone farther, "'but they constrained him, saying, "'Abide with us, for it is toward evening, "'and the day is far spent. "'And he went in to stay with them. "'Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, "'that he took bread, blessed and broke it, "'and gave it to them. "'Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, "'and he vanished from their sight.' The phrase is that he took this bread and he broke it. So now we have the resurrected Christ sitting down with these men who they've been walking for an hour, hours maybe. They never recognized him. But the instant he broke that bread and handed it to them, they recognized him. And then he disappeared. So see, we have this phrase, breaking of bread, that seems to be a key to our understanding of this. I brought it up there, but we're going to introduce it in other contexts too. Acts. So we go to Acts chapter 2, and I'll start reading at verse 41, and I'll skip around a little bit. Now, this is uh, Peter preaching. All these people are joining the church. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers, and then I'll skip to 46. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. So the question then is, what does this mean, this breaking of bread? There are essentially only two views. One view is that they are just breaking bread. They're just eating a meal. And really, when you go back to what Jesus had done with the two in that home, that's what he was doing. He broke the bread and gave it to them. He never ate, though. He broke the bread, and when he broke the bread, they suddenly realized, it dawned on them, this is Jesus. There's something supernatural there. The veil that had prevented them from recognizing him, and now suddenly, their ability to recognize him. But it had to do with him breaking that bread. Now, we have them persisting in the breaking of bread. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. So in doctrine, in fellowship, in breaking of bread, and in prayers. Now the question you have to resolve in your mind is, is this really just talking about eating meals like we do here on Sunday? Is that all this is talking about? And I really don't think it can be. I don't think it's likely. It's possible. And so I'm not going to say that people are wrong if they're saying that's just eating. And that's what many do. But it appears to me to be embedded in them as a people devoted to God. And eating food just isn't that. This is special. They continue steadfastly in doctrine, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayers. And 46 continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Now, we know at that time that the church was often in houses. The churches met in houses, so it's consistent. So that's the key. Now, the key then is this. With those that advocate for frequent communion, you just take the breaking of the bread. They're enjoying a communion right here. Now, the text that I read to you, At the start, you might have overlooked a key there. And let me take you there because I think it's the most important text in this regard. So I'm going to read to you starting at verse 7. Acts 20, verse 7. Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread. Now that is very precise. Paul has been traveling through. They've been here for a few days, and now it's the first day of the week. It's Sunday. It's the day of worship. Now, on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart, the next day spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Now, we won't talk about poor Eutychus, but he was saved. But they were gathering together for the explicit purpose of breaking bread. Why would they have waited to eat until then? It doesn't make sense that this is speaking about a simple meal, this is the breaking of bread this is what is central to remembering christ as central to christianity it's us celebrating communion so i believe this one and this occurs you know later this is years later they were probably celebrating it daily or as often as they got together as a church when the church was growing like gangbusters but now they've allowed it to fall into this weekly cycle along with everything else they've been doing on Sunday, gathering the tithes and meeting together for praise and worship. So now I believe that it had become the standard by this point, weekly. Weekly, the Lord's Day. That's when we get together and we do this. Jesus had said, as often as you eat and drink, Paul wrote, when you come together as a church, but then by the time of Troas, it said the first day of the week, communion. And so I believe that we're right in having this. We're not, though, going to criticize those that have anything different. They should be having communion, and so there is no option for rarely or never, and there is an argument for annually, because it was at the Passover that Jesus instituted it. That's the strongest other period that has an argument biblically. All of the others are just, it's believed that we have liberty, and so we just do it as we feel like it, as we feel it's right. I won't get into all the rationale as to why people do different times. I think we're mostly familiar with those. The adults are anyway. So let's just acknowledge that this is what we do, and we think it's right. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for this practice that you instituted uh, that last night, the final night uh, on the night of your betrayal. And we pray, Father, that we would be doing this rightly, that we would be examining ourselves, that we'd we'd be seeking to identify with you, your sacrifice, your work and labor on our behalf, and that which you've achieved. We ask you now, Lord, to bless this, this food and uh, wine, this bread and wine, uh, that we may celebrate our oneness with you. In your name, in Christ's name we pray. Amen.